I'm glad that you're here, whether you're here with us in person or you've joined us at church online. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, we're in part three today of a teaching series we're calling Future You, and uh, we're glad that you are here for this. We started this the first Sunday of January. I thought it was a standalone, and then it's become a series, and um, so it just I think, we're, I think we maybe have one more part in us, we'll see. But uh, for, for today, uh, we're, we're, just, we're, we're talking about some beginning of the new year kind of stuff, but it's bigger than beginning of the new year kind of stuff. The new year presents a natural time for us to kind of press reset, right? Maybe turn into a new chapter or whatever, because I mean, when you look around, not a lot about life feels much different than it did a month ago, uh, but it allows us an opportunity to kind of step back to, uh, and do some, I hopefully at least do some... Uh, introspection, maybe, if that's the word you want to use, and do some self-examination. And so that's what we're kind of doing here for the next few weeks, at least for the month of January. So uh, we're in this series that I'm calling Future You, and we start off in, point, in part one uh, asking the question, what uh, would future you do right now? Even if it's difficult, even if it doesn't even seem possible, because uh, ultimately, this is a series uh, really about the purpose of your life and the meaning and significance of your life and, and, and how to accomplish what it is you're supposed to accomplish. And if you're just um, exploring faith and maybe you're on the fence about Jesus, or maybe you're just getting started in this journey that we call following Jesus, we're glad that you're here because I think there'll be some practical takeaways wherever you land with the whole package. So, because the Bible is surprisingly practical. In part two, we address the question. Why haven't I accomplished more? Why haven't I accomplished what I had hoped I would accomplish by this point in my life? And we talked about our tendency to confuse activity for productivity and how we fall into the trap of believing that somehow busyness is honorable. And we looked at the words of the Apostle Paul where he wrote, make the most of every opportunity. And we talked about what that means. <coughs> we got pretty specific about what that means in terms of how we manage our time. Today, I want to drill down a little bit on something that I think a lot of us end up looking for, which is the idea of work-life balance. In fact, if we sat down and looked at what you hope to accomplish in this new year, a lot of us actually might say, well, I need more balance in my life. I've been running too hard. I've been going too hard at this. I need some balance. I need a little less work. I need a little bit less stress. I need more of this or a little more of that. And it seems like Everybody's on this quest for balance. Everybody wants more balance in their life. And, and if that's one of your goals for the new year, here's what I want you to do today. And you might disagree with this, and that's okay. But I, I would like for us to rethink this. Like, is balance really a goal that you want to be shooting for? In fact, you could ask the question this way, like, is this quest of work-life balance, is it even a thing or is it a myth? Is it a myth? It's something that everybody pursues, but really isn't worth, is it, is it worth pursuing in the first place? Or is it just a myth? Like, is it even attainable? Because everybody seems to want it, but very few people have it. And then if you achieve it, is it even something that you want? And I can understand the pull for it because 
Uh, what, whenever you put something on your goal list, right, uh, maybe you really want to drill down on your relationship with God. So you get up, you've been getting up earlier or you're staying up later, whatever really works for you in order to give him the best time of your day. Or maybe you're, you've really been thinking about it and it's time you want to launch, you want, you're finally going to start that business or you're finally going to turn the corner into a different career path or you're really going to apply yourself to get that promotion. Or maybe you just decided this, I'm going to now at the beginning of this year, I'm going to invest some more time in my my family, all right? Or maybe you're trying to watch your diet, or maybe you're trying to hit some financial goals. Whatever it is that you're doing, you're probably really trying to accomplish something, and you feel like you're in this like endless race. And I love what uh, Ken Blanchard says, where he says, the problem with the rat race is that even if you win, you're still a rat. So, and it's really a pretty good point. I mean, we can pursue all these goals, and again, you don't have to be a Christian to do this. You just have to be breathing oxygen to do this. And at the end of the day, if you accomplish it all, what does it mean? Because if you strive for balance, are you really a whole lot better? So I want to tackle this, and I hope that we can have open mind as we look at this. And I believe, believe it or not, that the Bible has something to say about it. And whether you're a Christian or whether you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, uh, the Bible has a lot of really practical, relevant advice. And a lot of times we think, well, the Bible really doesn't have anything to speak into my life today. And it actually does. And we're going to talk about that. I think one of the things that we Uh, really never see mentioned in the Bible as something that we ought to pursue is this idea of balance. In fact, I'm going to say it this way, that if you look at balanced people, they rarely accomplish anything significant. Like very few people who accomplish significant things are what we would call balanced people. And the reason is a lot of us, if you look at how people treat balance, a lot of times in our attempt to be balanced, We simply retreat from activity. That balance becomes a retreat from activity. Well, I'm not going to go as hard at work. I want to be more balanced. I'm not going to go to that social gathering this weekend because I'm trying to find more balance in my life. I'm not going to try to uh, accomplish more goals because I want more balance in my life. And a lot of the ways that we define balance in our life is to retreat from significant activities. And when we think about uh, the people in our lives... Very few people who really accomplish anything significant, uh, you know, like even in our own realm, but also historically, like famous names that you know, they are not what we'd call balanced people. They are, they're, they're passionate people. They're, they're passionate people. Most of the people who've made an impact on your life up to this point are not necessarily balanced people, or they might be balanced, but that's definitely not the defining characteristic, and it's not even necessarily something they pursued. But what is true of them is that they're people of passion. So here's an example. <clears throat> Take your phone out, if you would, if you don't already have it in your hand. All right, let's see let's, who's, got a, who's got their phone with them. You can, it's okay to have your phone in church. Let's see them. Let's see them. Some of you know you have it because I can see the glow on your face. You might as well just turn it around to me. Um, you're not fooling anybody. Okay, so yeah, I got your phone there. Um, If you're watching online, chances are maybe you're watching it on your phone, and so you've already got it in your hand, so you're ahead of the game. I want you to take your phone out, because this is something that uh, we're starting to take for granted. How many of you are holding a smartphone? Just just hold it up and let let me see how many of you have a smartphone. Okay, all right, yeah. Um, Smartphones have only been around a few years, you know that? Now, I know if you're like 18 years old or younger, uh, you probably find this hard to believe, because they're like, oh, they've been around like my whole life, as long as I can remember. 
they are, they're quite an innovation, and they're an innovation that was not born out of passion. They were created by, uh, or out of balance. They were created by a very, very passionate team. And the, the revolutionary smartphone that changed the game not that many years ago was the iPhone. And whatever you think about Apple and whatever you think about Steve Jobs, there's no question, undeniably, that what you hold in your hand today, whether it's an iPhone or another inferior manufacturer's phone, was greatly, was greatly influenced, I don't really care, but was greatly influenced by this revolution unleashed in 2007 when the first iPhone was launched. There'd never been another phone like it. If you study the history of how the iPhone uh, came to be, I love these, this kind of stuff, and how it was invented, it was a pretty passionate bunch that put this phone together. And balance uh, would never have produced a phone like this. But passion did. In fact, when you read the backstory, I love this quote. One of the engineers is quoted as saying, we're a pretty maniacal group of people. We're maniacs, he said. Something as simple as the on-off switch, a hardware button, would go through 50 different designs before we agreed on the final design for the original iPhone. So they went through so many different versions. In fact, you know, the only people that were allowed to be on the team to design the iPhone were people who already worked for Apple. Uh, it was a completely secret project. And if they were going to recruit you to work on the iPhone project, what happened, and this happened mostly between 2003 and 2007, they would come up to you and say, uh, we want you to be involved in a project that we think can change the world. We can't tell you what it is. Uh, it means you're going to be putting in a lot of hours. We're going to, it's going to demand like absolutely everything from you. We don't know how long it's going to take. You're going to work evenings. You're going to work weekends. You're not going to see much of your family. Are you in? Oh, yeah, and it's going to change the world. Are you in? And some people said yes, and some people said no. And they eventually took over a whole building on the Apple campus, and you weren't allowed to say anything about what it is you were working on if you were a part of this team. Steve Jobs was actually involved in this project, and they debated, and they trashed prototypes, and trying things like nobody had tried before. Did you know that one of the original prototype designs had the click wheel on it? Do you remember the click wheel from the first iPod? Do you remember that? Little thing to do that, and then you press the thing? The first iPhone, one of the first iPhone prototypes had that. They scrapped that idea. Then two things happened. GPS technology was emerging where, uh, on a consumer level, where you could actually just, with, with your GPS device, could touch a screen and navigate. That was starting to be pioneered. I don't know if you were an early adopter of that technology. They'd already done some prototype work on the iPad, what would eventually become the iPad, because uh, they released that like three years later. And they're like, well, if a touch screen works for GPS, and if it works for the iPad, uh, that we're working on and we're going to release in a few years, could it work for the iPhone? So when they, then they, they put the first prototype of an iPhone with a touch screen together. And they didn't like it. They junked it and they started over. And they started over dozens of times, but by 2007, they'd finally produced and released the first iPhone. It was not a project born of balance. <coughs> it was a project born of passion an arguably maniacal obsession with producing a device that they believed would change the world. And whether it changed the world or not, it's probably indisputable. Whether it changed it for the better, we can talk about that. But the reason you're holding whatever you're holding in your hand is because of passion. And listen, it's just a phone. It's just a smartphone. It's just a piece of technology. That's all it is. But the principle is universal. John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism, put it this way. He said, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. 
Light yourself on fire. You want influence? Light yourself on fire with passion, and people will come from miles to watch you burn. Why? Because passion is so rare because so few people have it. So few people actually pursue life with passion. So few people actually pursue work with passion. So few people actually pursue engagement in church life and relationship with Jesus with passion. So few people approach life in general with passion. There's this kind of retreat in the name of balance. Well, I want to do a little bit less here and a little bit less there, and I don't want to go too hard, and I don't want to overcommit. And guess what? I doubt if that's your approach that you're going to accomplish anything truly significant if that characterizes your life. And the other thing that would probably maybe surprise us is that God is actually a God of passion. I mean, if you look at the story of God all through the Scripture, God's story is a story of passion. And if there's one word that describes God's creation right from the beginning, right through the very end of the Bible, at the end of human history, God doesn't just have a relationship with us. He doesn't just want a relationship with you. He wants a passionate relationship with you. Here's the thing. We all get passionate about something. I mean, for some people, it's sports. I mean, you're just so pumped about the Super Bowl. I mean, not so much this year for some reason, but at least, anyway, but you're Let's just talk about hockey. You're pumped about hockey season starting finally, right? Or maybe you're so pumped about, uh, I don't know, Cobra Kai or The Mandalorian or Stranger Things or whatever, and you're passionate about your entertainment, right? Uh, Maybe you're passionate about what's going on in politics, wherever you land on the political spectrum. If, If politics is your jam, you have had an epic three months. I mean, you've had a wild time, right? You're, or if you're just passionate about your hobby or whatever your thing is, my question is, why not get more passionate about life? I mean, often where we channel our passions in this culture is into things that in the end don't really matter. And I'm not saying don't be passionate about a show that you're into. I'm not saying don't be passionate about sports or politics or your next vacation. I'm I'm just saying in addition to that, let's be passionate about things that really matter, that matter for eternity, that carry, and let's carry a level of passion into our lives because the kind of relationship that our Heavenly Father wants with us is a relationship born of passion. And I believe that's where our influence really takes off and grows. Sometimes um, all that we do, as much as, I, um, as much as I like my technology, and I have a passionate love-hate relationship with technology, and as much as we pour our passion into uh, you know, a phone, a smart TV, into an app, or much passion as maybe you pour into work, and listen, you should pour it into work. But what if we poured that passion into things that matter most, into the things that matter for eternity, into the reason God created you? Because God's story is a story of passion, and he's invited us into the story. If you have your Bibles, and I know you have your Bible app because I've seen your devices, uh, I invite you to open up your Bible app. And if you go to the menu, go to events, open up Faith Community Fellowship, you'll find the scripture preloaded for you right there. We've done all the work for you. you It's right there to follow along. We're in Hebrews chapter 12 today, and I'm going to read a few verses. We don't know who the writer of Hebrews is exactly. Um, Everybody that I know who's gone to seminary has an opinion about it, um, but it really doesn't matter. 
Uh, we do know that the writer was very passionate about his relationship with God. It was a letter that was written to uh, Jewish Christians who had the whole legacy of Judaism and the Old Testament behind them. They grew up with that for generations and generations. But now they've come to realize and to believe that Jesus is the one who all of that was pointing to and that he's the one that makes a relationship with our Heavenly Father possible. So that's who he's writing to. Verse 1 of, of Hebrews uh, chapter 12. <clears throat> Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the, <coughs> the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you've not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. So let's just stop for a second. The author is writing to encourage them and to remind them of what matters most. And he says this in verse 1, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. So if you think about the people who've made an impact uh, in your life, they're almost never people who pursued balance. Maybe they had balance, but it wasn't something they pursued. That wasn't their goal. They were people who lived life and approached life with passion. They were people who left some kind of dent in the world around them, right? And if we were to go to back to this context in Hebrews 12, this cloud of witnesses that he's talking about are people who, just, who live like remarkable lives, who accomplish something worth noting spiritually. And he's actually referring back to chapter 11 because he wasn't writing in chapters, but this is how we've divided the Scripture up. So he's referring to this passage that he had just written where he over and over said, by faith, and then he named somebody. And by faith, named somebody, and here's what they accomplished. He says, by faith, these people, and some of them were named, not all of them were named. He said, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice. They received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. See, here's the thing. We tend to live vicariously, right? We watch movies of people who live heroic lives. We play games so we can be the hero. These people lived heroic lives. And we can too. I mean, this is an adventure when we sign up for a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's going to take us places that require a lot of us or maybe everything of us. Um, and I know, I know church has a reputation of being boring. And I acknowledge that some of us who stand at a podium in churches have contributed to that reputation. But this should be the least boring experience ever. I'm talking about stories of remarkable turnaround in relationships brought back to life when everybody said they were, they were dead, of addictions overcome, of people who have had every measure of success but take all the glory and point it right back to God. And then they use their success to benefit others. These are the most remarkable stories stories in the planet, and they should come from life in the church. The writer says, their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. You want to drill down on passion? It's a term that we use quite widely today, but I think we use it, I'm not going to say incorrectly, we just use it differently. Maybe not fully, all right? Uh, passion has come to mean, oh, I'm enthusiastic, I'm excited, I'm pumped, like I just came from a pep rally, I'm, I've got passion. But passion 
in its original sense, actually carries with it a sense of suffering. So that's why if you grew up in church, uh, you sometimes heard the last week of Jesus' life and all the events leading up to the crucifixion referred to as the passion of the Christ. What's that mean? Is he excited about it? Hardly. He's found his passion, like this is what gets him out of bed in the morning? That's No, it simply meant that he suffered because passion involves a sense of suffering. And if you've ever done anything that you're really, really, truly passionate about, you understand this. If you care about something, you're willing to suffer for it. If you're in a marriage and you're struggling right now, you're willing to go through some pain to get to the better part, to get to the other side. If you're going to make a difference in your workplace, you're, you're going to have to give something up. Maybe it's in terms of what you think other people think of you, but you're going to have to make a sacrifice and it's going to cost you something. And uh, it, you may have to sacrifice more than other people in order to make a difference. But to live passionately means it's going to involve sacrifice. So you might even suffer to some extent. These first Christians knew that. These first century Christians knew that. And they're like, we know this and this is worth it. It's worth it. And amongst the most important things, I'm going to say far better than balance, is passion. Because you rarely do something significant when your pursuit is balance. But you can do incredible things when you lean into passion. So the writer of Hebrews, having just written about these incredibly passionate people in chapter 11, says, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially sin that so easily trips us up. So he's saying, let's live this life unencumbered and let's live passionately for the few things that really do matter. Let's live passionately for the things that matter for eternity, for the things that you're going to look back on someday and say, God accomplished something through me. God accomplished something in me in terms of doing something significant and look look at the impact that was made. He says, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Here's the thing. This race is not a sprint, and you've heard this a thousand times. It's a marathon, right? That's what life is, and you and I need to run with endurance, and that's why passion is such a great word to describe how we should live because it does involve suffering, yes, and if you're going to live with some kind of endurance, it's going to mean that you have to be willing to endure some pain in order to make a longer-term gain. It means maybe that you're the person who swallows hard and forgives when there's no logical reason to forgive. Maybe it means you believe when you really just want to stop believing. You don't feel like believing. And maybe it means you're going to work hard when everybody else around you is not. Maybe it means you're going to have to carry a disproportionate load at work because you actually care. You're passionate and everybody else is just punching the clock. But you will make a contribution and you'll, you'll make a difference if you're willing to do that. The writer says, so run this race with endurance. So if you're going to do something that matters, if you're going to do something that is significant, and what could be more significant than number one, your relationship with God and influencing others in their relationship with God. And he says, this is how we keep it all in perspective. Verse two, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because when I take my eyes off Jesus, I lose focus from what, on what matters most. Because of the joy awaiting him, he said, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So here's what I think. And you can disagree, but I think passion accomplishes so much more than balance. Passion just does. I just want us to imagine, what if, what if we started living our lives with passion? And what if you said, well, I'm going to set balance aside and I'm not going to make that my goal. 
I'm going to quit striving for balance. And look, I'm not suggesting that you start working 100 hours a week, but what if you went to work and while you're there, you're passionate about it? You're like, oh, yeah, right. I, I, if you knew my job, I hate my job. I do not like my job. It's not, what I, it's not what I dreamt of. It's not, no, I don't think so. Well, what if you just found one aspect of your job that you loved? What if you look for ways within the context of your workplace, listen, that you could serve someone, that you could serve your boss, your employees, your coworkers, your customers, your clients, your patients, your students? What if, what if you got passionate about that one area, about serving them as if they mattered? What if we could get passionate about treating them with the respect and the honor and dignity that Jesus sees in them? What if we treated every person that you interact with in your workplace as someone that Jesus loves and someone Jesus died for? Do you think then we could bring some passion to work? What if we decided, even if you've been married a long time, whatever that means for you, what if you started to date your spouse? I mean, what if you gave your spouse the same attention and focus and enthusiasm that you did before you were married? Would that make a difference in your marriage? And what if we started to give God the best time of our day? So if you're a morning person, then first thing in the morning, take some time, sit down, have some time alone with God, with the scripture and in prayer. If you're a night owl, then maybe right before you go to sleep, give God that time. Take that time to read your Bible and pray and spend time with God. Maybe you got to get creative and it's on your lunch break. Maybe it's as soon as you get home. Maybe it's right after supper. Figure that out and make the time. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Make the time, make it a priority and give that time where you have your best energy. Give that to your relationship with God. Because listen, if we're just trying to be balanced, right? I'll do a little bit of less of this, a little less of that, and not try to not go so hard here. That rarely works. And I'm not saying, again, go work 90 hours a week. That's, it's, a diff, it's a different sermon, but because uh, you know. You know when you should be cutting back on the work hours. You know. You don't need me or anybody else to tell you that. But let's be honest, because even though you might think that you're thriving in the workplace because like, you're a manager and you've got people reporting to you or you own the business and it's thriving or whatever your deal is, somewhere in your life, something is suffering. Something or someone is paying the price for that. So what I'm saying is when you're at work, find a way to work with passion. When you're resting in your leisure, rest with passion. It isn't noble to go weeks without a day off. No one's impressed, and if they are, those aren't the people you need to be trying to impress. There's nothing honorable about getting by on four hours sleep when your body needs seven. A couple weeks ago in part two, I challenged you to do a time audit. Do you remember this? Um, I'm wondering, if, how many of you did that or worked at it? You kind of worked at it. Wow, that is like 100% more than the nine o'clock, so good job. We were talking about tracking our time. And did you keep a record of those of you did it? Did you keep a record of that anywhere? You can just do this if you want to, because I did. And here's how I did it. I'm going to tell you how I did it. Because I, I schedule, like, I put everything that I do goes on my calendar. And I use it on my device, and it's you know, connected to all my devices. So um, I don't do anything if it's not on my calendar. I'm obsessive. And so even if I'm like, well, oh, I did that. I should put that on my calendar. 
So what I, I typically would just delete that event or that project, that task, that meeting, whatever, from my calendar when it's done, just delete it. So in the last two weeks, I've actually left it on there just at the time so it's accurate and just changed the color of that so I can look at it and like, well, that's actually where I spent my time. And uh, so I learned some things about the way that I spend my time in the last two weeks. And if you did this, chances are you did too. Maybe now you need another week or two of tracking your time to see the patterns. I'd encourage you to go back and uh, watch uh, or listen to uh, part two of this series, and uh, you'll be challenged there to kind of do this exercise to identify those areas where we need to make adjustments. See, we can't make adjustments if we're not being honest with ourselves. We can't be honest with ourselves if we don't really have the information we need. So I, I encourage you, take a couple more weeks, maybe go listen to that message, and then actually engage in this exercise. And if you're like, well, I just I work eight to five all I do, and then I go home and crash. I would encourage you maybe at some point in your day, or depending on your job, maybe at the end of your day, go back and actually keep a record of how you're spending your time at work, and get really detailed about that. And then we can be honest about what that information is telling us and make some adjustments as we need to. That exercise is about time management, and that's important. And it's something that um, I'm, I'm a student of time management. I'm not an expert in time management, because I feel like once I figure out what works for me, life circumstances change or maybe stage of life changes now I got to make an adjustment and it's just something I find really interesting and I work out all the time and I'm, I'm sure you do too and I think I think it really goes to the our ability to like the most basic level of just maintaining long-term health and sustainability and effectiveness this whole idea of managing our time but here's something different to try this week okay so be prepared so I'll probably ask you how this went because we've talked about managing our time and making necessary judgment uh, adjustments let me talk about managing our energy. Because if we learn to manage our energy, things that really matter can change. In fact, manage your energy and not just your time, and I believe you discover more passion. Maybe more passion that's sitting there under the surface and it comes out. Because here's the deal. We all have 24 hours in a day, right? We know that. We established that a couple weeks ago. It took us a while to get there, but we all came to agreement. We all have 24 hours in a day. We all have the same amount of time. But here's the deal. How we spend it matters. And this is what I've discovered. That I don't have equal energy for all 24 hours in my day. And you probably don't either, right? So when I discover where my best windows of time are throughout the day. <clears throat> when I can build my calendar around that, then I can really lean into the best hours of my day. When I can devote my best energy to the most important things. Then at other times, I can do the other stuff. So at other times, I can do email. And at the other times, I can reply to a text or return a phone call. I want to give my best energy to the things that are the most important. And then I want to save some energy I want to save some energy so when I'm home, I can be present with my wife. When my kids are still at home, I worked really hard at being present for my kids. You have to ask them how that went. But so that I can be present for those around me. When I've got an important meeting in the evening, I want to manage my, my energy that day so I can walk into that meeting with energy, with purpose, with passion. And it... Uh, it, it doesn't always work, right? I've only got so much energy. But when I'm getting ready like for a Sunday morning, it's a time slot that I set aside for sermon preparation and study time. Study time takes priority. I'm not going to allow myself to be interrupted. I want it to get the best of my energy because I've only got so much energy. And if I spend my energy somewhere else, I'm not going to have it for the things that I believe really matter for me. So if you think about managing your energy and how you can give your energy to things that matter the most, here's something I want us to lean into this week, and I believe we can all work at this, okay? Let's give 
some of our best energy this week to being the hands and feet of Jesus. That's pretty broad, right? It's on you to figure out what that looks like in your life. But let's give our best energy starting this week to being the hands and feet of Jesus in the lives of the people around us. We don't have to go looking for those people. They're in our lives. Give some of your best energy to being a listening ear. Give some of your best energy maybe to playing with your kids, to having a meaningful conversation with your spouse like every day. Give, your, give some of your energy and some time to rest, to leisure, to something that replenishes your body, mind, and soul. Engage passionately in that. And, and whatever you do, do it with passion because this is what I think we're going to discover. That the people who've made the biggest impact on our lives, they might be balanced people, but they're not seeking balance. They didn't make an impact because they were balanced. They made an impact on us because they were passionate and they cared about you and they reserved their best energy for you. So if your relationships need some work, or maybe they're just flat, they're not in crisis, they're just flat, bring some energy, bring your best energy, bring some passion to those relationships. If you struggle to connect with God these days, are you bringing your best energy to your time with God? Are you doing it in an optimal time of your day to spend time with God, to cultivate your relationship with God? Let's, let's figure out a way to bring our best time in passion to our relationship with God. And I think you'll believe that God is passionate about you. Here's what I think, uh, here's what else I think you'll find. That when we do these things, that future you will thank you. And when you look back a few months from now, a year from now, you'll be thankful that you committed to live life with passion in the areas that matter most. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a God of passion. Thank you that you love us passionately, that you want to accomplish significant things in our lives and through our lives. God, I know this is hard for some of us. It's hard for some of us in this room. It's hard for some of us who are watching at church online or listening to the podcast because it's been so long since we've shown any passion in some of these important areas in our lives. So a lot of us have resisted this whole idea. And if we're being honest, we'd have to admit that we're just kind of approaching some things half-heartedly. We've forgotten what it is to approach really anything with any level of passion. The things that really matter, we're just not that passionate about it anymore. We're not sure we can get that back. Maybe some of us have given up on the idea of being passionate about some things. Maybe we've gotten distracted by pursuit of balance because we don't want to go too far this way or too far that way. We just want to keep things in balance. So, Father, I pray that that might begin to change in us this week. I pray that first we would passionately pursue relationship with you. That we'd bring our best energy at our most optimum time of day to moving ahead and growing in our relationship with you. And then I pray that you would help us to learn to manage not just our time, but our energy. Thank you, God for your heart for us. Thank you that the story of the God that we serve is a story of a God who never stops pursuing us. For that, we are thankful, we're humbled, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name.
Amen.